Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, buckle up. We have a fab show today, and I need your help because we are getting ready for a tectonic shift, a revolution in thinking, a very Gen X rage against the machine, a rebellion of sorts, and we need everybody to join in. Now, this is a very specific rebellion. Let's call it a radiant rebellion, a rebellion that says aging can be joyful, that says aging can be embraced and celebrated. And this joyful call to arms is being issued by my guest today, author, activist, joy chaser, lightmaker, and radiant rebel, Karen Walrund. She joins me today to talk about her latest book, Radiant Rebellion, Reclaim Aging, Practice Joy, and Raise a Little Hell. Welcome, Karen. Oh my gosh, what an introduction. Thank you very much. I love being here. <laughs> well, I'm so excited because I, I wanted like a galvanizing sort of call to arms because I love the message that you are sharing in your book. We need everyone to get on board because you had me a joyful, radiant date. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that. And you know, I love that you said rage against the machine. A friend of mine who I actually interview in the book, Ashton Applewhite, she calls it aging against the machine, which I really, really love. So. Totally. Oh my gosh. that's I, You're jogging my memory because I, 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 I've read the book and I that jumped out at me as well. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're here for a reason. You're here because we are really on the same page with this. You know, aging mm. can be joyful. I love the use of the word radiant, radiant rebellion. What made you sit down and write this book? Yeah, well, you know, it was... Uh honestly, for really selfish reasons. I'd love to say that I had altruistic reasons for writing it, but um, I wrote the book last year. And last year, I turned 55. I celebrated my 20th anniversary and my only child turned 18 and graduated high school and moved to college. So it was a year full of all of these milestone times. And of course, because especially with having a daughter that was a senior, a graduating senior, I had a lot of friends who were sort of in the same place and they were really so upset about it. Not just the fact that their children would be leaving home, but the fact that it meant that the time was marching on kind of thing. And I was not like, I was thrilled. I, I've never been a person that like lamented getting older or lamented my birthdays. I my daughter leaving home, honestly, that was kind of the goal all along, right? Like, <laughs> yes. like our goal are to raise, you know, self-sufficient, independent kids. And so I I really didn't understand why, one, I seemed to be the only person who was really excited about the things that were happening, like truly excited. And two, the idea of reaching a certain age, whatever age that is, and sort of becoming smaller or more invisible or diminishing just didn't ring true for the people that I saw around me. Like all around me, I saw people my age or older who were starting companies or they were writing books or writing bestsellers or starring in movies or <laughs> producing movies. Like there was so much amazing things that were happening. And I was like, what is that about? Like, why, why do, why is there such a disconnect? And then honestly, I thought, well, okay, i I feel great about all of this, but what if I'm crazy? Like, what if I'm the crazy one and suddenly it's going to hit me, right? Like, oh my God. You're like, they're really all right. It is terrible. <laughs> it's horrifying. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write this book and I want to 
kind of one, explore why it is that people feel that horrible. And two, speak to experts in different areas of life, like spirituality or health or beauty or all the different things that we think about as we get older and sort of take their advice. Like, what would it mean to take their advice and what would it mean to be aging in a way that you feel really grounded and confident in your aging, right? Like what, what do you have to do? What are some of the practices you have to do? And that is what the Radiant Rebellion is all about. That's what the, that's what the book's about. I, I, I love this. And you know, your book, the Genesis, as you just shared, is rooted in a very, it, the personal, it was triggered by these personal milestones. And, and throughout the book, you do share uh, lovely personal anecdotes, but you also get into data and research uh, you have incredible interviews, and you share some really fascinating history on aging yeah. and ageism and how ageism slowly crept into our culture and why so many people are, um, you know, feeling like despondent or upset as they age. Can you share a little bit with our listeners about the history of ageism and how it took hold? Oh, my God. This is probably the my favorite research that I did for the book. And it, I, a friend actually asked it of me, like when she knew that I was writing the book, she was like, do you know why we, like, why did that happen? And I thought, I, I have no idea. So I started um, researching it and I came across the work of a, psycho a psychiatrist and me medical historian. Her name is Dr. Laura Hirschbein. And she conducts research on the history of psychiatry and health policy. And she wanted to know the same thing. Like, why do we fear aging? And she decided in order to do her research, what she wanted to do was read like popular magazines over time and see what they said about aging. And it turns out in the early 1900s, most articles about aging were written by older folks, right? Um, which is not true today. So most people who were like in their 70s, 80s, 90s, they were writing about how much they loved aging and how much they loved that they had um, all this wisdom. And a few might talk about disability, but mostly they just talked about how, um, you know, how things felt more expansive for them, that they loved learning. And everybody loved aging back then. Fast forward, two world wars, a Great Depression, and the U.S. government decides that, you know what, these older people are keeping jobs away from younger fathers, let's say, right? Because it was it was primarily fathers who have young families. So what we're going to do is we're going to establish a retirement age of 65 so that we can get older people out of the workforce so that these younger people have a better shot at getting jobs, right? So now, because older people are not contributing to the economy, now they're seen as a burden and they're seen as a national problem, right? Because what, what, what are they around for anyway? And then this is my favorite part. Pediatricians and child psychologists decided to start expanding their research into older people. And they set as the standard for healthy and normal five-year-olds. Wow. So if you were <laughs> as agile or as cognitive, cognitively um, quick as a five-year-old, then you were impaired. And now all of the articles are now reading, are being written by doctors and medicals talking about the problems of aging. And then, and I actually, I don't know if I mentioned this or not in the book, Clairol comes to town. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, I've, and, I've done a show on going gray. I, I know <laughs> I know about the Clairol influence. <laughs> exactly. So Clairol comes to town. It's like, oh, my God, you don't want people to think you're older. You need to start dyeing your hair. 
right? So, and that's all within the first 50 years of the 20th century. So in 50 years, it went from people really sort of celebrating um, age and the wisdom that comes with age and the historical like knowledge that comes with age um, to absolutely deploring it. You've got to hide it. It's something to be ashamed of. You don't want to be seen as a burden. It's really, it's truly astonishing the the sort of cultural shift that you chronicle in the book. And uh, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. You also interview a raft of extraordinary people in the book, including Brene Brown, Tarana Burke, who was the activist leader of the Me Too movement. You mentioned ageism activist Ashton Applewhite. We're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to hear if there was one particular person or point of view that really transformed the way you think about aging. We'll be back after this break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, would you use it to head to yoga, take a nap, read a book, hang with a friend, maybe start a podcast? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. I know I do. I have three kids, two jobs, one puppy, and to be honest, a zillion things on my want to get to list. Here's what I've learned. The best way to squeeze something special into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your busy schedule. Getting started is so easy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash a certain age today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash a certain age. Karen, we're back. When we headed into the break, we talked about this really, you know, amazing list of people that you connected with in the book to interview big names like Brene Brown, uh, age activist Ashton Applewhite. They all share incredible thinking and ideas that I hope people will pick the book up and read. But I'm wondering if there's anyone that really helped that shared something that helped you redefine how you view aging, you know, a major takeaway that transformed you most deeply from your interview process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were all, like you say, they were all really, really brilliant. But, you know, I think the one that really kind of shook me to my core was Ashton. Um, And it was mostly because I I went into this project feeling somewhat smug, right? Like, like I said, I'm not a person. (laughs) We love an honest answer. I love it. Why were you smug? Tell us. Well, I mean, I, I never feared aging. Like, I loved my birthday. I celebrated my birthday. I've never been a person who was like, oh, my God, I'm getting older. I'm running out of time. So I walked into this feeling like, I got this, right? Like I I don't have a problem with aging or ageism. Um and it turns out of course that we all do because we are steeped in this culture that says that getting older is bad. And so the conversation I had with Ashton who is amazing, amazing. I she has a wonderful TED Talk called Let's Fight Ageism. That's how I found her and reached out to her and she kindly said that she would speak to me about this. I asked her, I was like, so, you know, how can what advice would you give to people about um, tackling their own internalized ageism. And again, I asked the question thinking, those people who do it, not me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, I would really think about how we use the words young and old. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. What are you talking about? And she said, well, I hear people say all the time, I don't feel old. And I said, well, yeah, I say that all the time myself. Like, I don't feel old. 
And she goes, well, I suspect when you use the word old, you're saying, I don't feel unsexy or I don't feel invisible or I don't feel, um, you know, unconfident or whatever. And, and I said, well, okay. She goes, yeah, but like when, I don't know about you, but when I was 13, I didn't feel sexy and I didn't feel con like those attributes are not age dependent. Right. And it was like, like my brain just kind Your of brain like, exploded. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I'm like, of course, I mean, it felt so innocuous to say, I don't feel old and not even realizing that I'm using old in a pejorative way. Right. Right. It's fascinating. And so it's so, I mean, it literally, it that probably broke me open. It's the same sort of thing, like when people say, oh my gosh, you're 56, you don't look 56, you look so much younger, right? And even before speaking to Ashton, there was something about that that felt a little bit off. Like I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing, right? Like, but now I realize it's because we say young means good, old means bad, right? And we age at different rates. Like, you know, like we constantly, we all, we become more and more diverse, the older that we get. And so to use like old or young as shorthand for things that doesn't even apply makes no sense. Like, let's be more precise. I don't feel invisible. I don't feel, you know, impaired. I don't feel whatever it is that you want to say. It's, it's not about whether or not you're old or not or young or not, right? It's really about just how you feel. Yeah, it's such a great check, Karen, because, we, you know, you and I did a quick pre-call before we hopped on this recording and, and you sort of shared this old, young, um, you know, epiphany that you had about language that we use. And I was just shooting a very quick Instagram reel uh, yesterday holding a composition notebook because September for me is like go time and I'm back to yep. school and I'm excited. And I almost said, you know, I'm old school. Look at me with my composition notebook. And then I thought I had to think to myself, like, is that the right thing to say? Like, you know, old school, you know, you really you have to sort of check your language. And yeah. I love that you made me think more deeply about the words that I'm using. And you offer a great prompt in your book. I mean, your book has, uh, it's sort of broken into three broad areas. There's different themes that emerge in each book. But at the end, you offer a series of prompts that anyone can use to kind of activate the lessons from the book in their own lives. And one of the prompts that you encourage readers to ask themselves is, what do I think it means to be young? And I thought that was such a fascinating prompt because sort of what comes up is when we think about what does it mean to be young and youthful, it's energy, it's joy, it's, you know, playful, active. And honestly, I feel like I can be all of those things right now at 53. You know, but And you can probably be all of those things even older, much older. Of right? course, like, of course. Right? But you can also be but the reverse is true too. Because right, you exactly. can be you can be, you know, closed minded or, you know, uh, in a fixed mindset or, you know, stubborn lethargic or, lethargic or, or un, you know, energy, at any age. It's not but we do assign these values to certain ages. So that that's why I thought that was absolutely such a fascinating fascinating prompt. Um, yeah. Let's move in. I want to ask you specifically about the use of the word rebellion in your book title, right? Because, yeah. a, you know, it's a it's a radiant rebellion, but it's still a rebellion, you know, and we're rebelling against the tired sort of dated and as you shared, internalized notions that aging diminishes us in some way. What, yeah. what are one to two tools you could offer our listeners um, to help them in their own radiant rebellion, you know, to sort of mm. push back against this notion that aging makes them less than. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, the, the the word rebellion sort of evolved. I, I when I again I started writing this book 
um, with a really sort of smug mindset that I was just going to be like, oh, people don't fear aging. Aging is awesome. You'll be fine. Right. And what I found out was that ageism is baked into our society. It, it is the reason we fear it. Right. It, it, there's a largely unregulated trillion dollar anti-aging industry, right? That targets, wait for it, 24-year-olds. That is that is the target that a lot of these or, these um, beauty companies and all these other anti-aging companies um, target to say, oh, you better stop aging. And of course, if they can convince you that you need to stop aging, they've got a customer for life, right? So it, it really is baked into our culture. And I feel like we really collectively, whatever age, whatever stage we are, need to rebel against that. So a few things. Obviously, the first one is think about how you use the words old and young, like we spoke about. Um, a lot of the other things is really sort of um, understand like what you're buying, making smart purchasing decisions, like understanding what's what you want to buy when you look at the eye cream that says removes fine lines or whatever else, right? Like really sort of self-interrogate. Why is that important? First of all, I'm, I'm very, I will just admit, I'm very skeptical of any product that says that it can make you look younger. I mean, honestly, but um, if that's what's appealing to you, really sort of interrogate that. Why is that important? Like, why do I need to remove fine lines. What does that say about me? What does that say about how I speak to myself and what I think of myself when I want to erase certain parts of myself? Um, you know, one of the things that I did uh, right before I started writing the book, but sort of over the course of the book is um, I decided to stop dyeing my hair. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not suggesting everybody like put down all of the face creams and stop dyeing their hair. I'm not I'm not suggesting that. And I am also very cognizant that there are some real repercussions for some people to stop doing that. There are articles all over the place of anchor women and anchor men who have decided to go gray and getting fired for getting going gray on camera, right? Like yes. so there are some real repercussions to um deciding to ditch dye or you know stop doing that. And I get I get that. But what I think it's really important for all of us to do is just do a little interrogation. Why is it important for me to do this? What would it mean for me if I didn't do this? And because I think a lot of us, I think something like 75% of women in America, adult women in America dye their hair, right? I'm one like of them. We, yeah. Right, right. And I, up until two years ago, I was too. And I think, it and for me, I was dyeing my hair not at first was just because that's what's done. Like it was, it felt to me like that was part of grooming. Sure, it's right? like upkeep grooming, right, totally. That's, that's what you do, right? And it wasn't until I was doing it like every six weeks or so, I was like, well, do I really need to spend this kind of money? Like, And time, me, and time. For and me, time, like right? time is like the most valuable commodity these days. Absolutely. And so really, and like what would happen if I didn't? As it turns out, I like my hair better now in its salt and pepper state than I did when it was black. But I would have never really like questioned it had I not been writing the book or think, you know, or really running out of money and time, like you said, but um, sort of thinking like, what does it mean if I let that happen? And also what, if I do, I can always go back, like, you know, like right. it's hair, I can, I can always go back. So let me just experiment with it and really sort of um, like question how we do that. And then the third thing I would do is um, like, I think one of the things that we don't do enough of, and I'm actually um, in the process of exploring this for a new book, um, is the idea of what something new I can learn 
um, staying curious and really sort of what's something new I can try. Um, maybe once a month, maybe once a year. Um, recently, I tried surfing, which is a whole funny story that will go into the next book. But what are some of the things that I can keep learning and keep trying and keep expanding, right? We talk about um, aging in the book. We t- Over and over and over again, the people I interviewed kept using the word expansive. I feel it life is more expansive. The way I dress myself is more expansive. The way that I think about my career is more expansive. Like that just kept coming up. And that felt like a real key to how people continue to feel really vibrant and um, and playful and curious and all the things that we all really want to have. Um, and so I would, I would do that. I think especially as we get older, especially as we have families, we start to focus on people other than ourselves, right? Rightfully so. Um, But I think it's also really important to focus on ourselves, even, you know, while we still have children, while we, you know, while our children are still in our home or anything else, because we model what it means to live a vibrant life for the people around us when yeah, we do. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're like lending a hand backwards to the generation coming up behind us and, and pulling them forward and saying that, you know, you can age with vibrancy and all, you know, joy and all that good stuff and healthy and, and, and well and fit, you know, because there are a lot of myths around, you know, aging is sort of this like inevitable slide into, dec- you know, slide into decrepitude. Um, yeah. But I love those two tools that you offered, you know, for our listeners. One, ask why. Why do I believe this? Like, do I even believe this to be true, that I yeah. need to dye my hair, that I need to be young, that I need to be wrinkle free? For many of us, the answer is no, I don't believe that. And two, stay curious. Learn new yeah. things. Expand your your world, your skill set, your uh, community. Be with new people. I, I think that learning new things, to me at least, is is truly the key to, you know, aging vibrantly because, Absolutely. you know, just being interested, having a reason to get out of bed every morning, like acquiring new skills. It's, it is such a, um, you know, adrenaline shot. So I, I, you know, I thank you for those two offerings. I'm going to offer some uh, ideas for, for the uh, listening audience today as well. Like I, I think um, the importance of doing a certain kind of social media detox. You know, mm. one of a, one of the guests that came on my show, Dr. Amanda Hansen, who goes by the social media hashtag, um, the Midlife Muse, shared this idea, and I've really attached myself to it. You know, make sure that you are in conversation in your real life, but also on, in your social media, with uh, accounts that make you feel supported and seen. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, I think sometimes we forget that with social media, we have a lot of power and we don't have to follow the stuff that's like making us feel bad. Right. Like Like all this sort of anti-Asian. I I mean, my social media stream and and I am. You know, I am one of those people that I do a lot on social media. My job requires me to do a lot on social media, but also I like I'm I'm happy to put down my phone, especially when I'm with other people. But if you were to go through my feed, it is just a joy party, right? Like that's all I ever. And if anybody says or does anything that makes me feel like uncomfortable or wrong, honestly, um, it's gone. I get my news other places. Like it is, it is there to support me. I think that's such a great point. It is. And I love that you have a joy feed. I feel like yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to 
ask you later about some some of those people in that joy feed because we all need more joy in our lives. So that's that's a, that's that's a great hack. Um, so you know, in in the book, you chronicle you know a series of experiments really that helps you rebel you know rebel against this notion that aging is a time of dwelling capacity. You you know rebel against convention. You've already talked about one. You let your hair go gray. You know, Clairol's not happy about that. Uh, you, you also <laughs> offer like really kind of fun, playful. Uh, activities that you've pulled into your life, like you now hula hoop for exercise, which I, you literally, like I see you on social media and I'm like, I need to get myself a weighted hula hoop because Karen makes that look so <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's my cool down. It's actually, it's it's usually the thing that I do at the end of exercising. It's my little sort of joy play. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, and you also, you know, you just sort of alluded to it. You um, took up surfing, you tried surfing. I know that you and your husband want to try sailing as a as a, an activity, sort of for couples activity to kind of counteract the you know, the empty nest. But you also connect and interview a lot of women who are engaged in their own radiant rebellion. You know, is there something that popped out to you that you've sort of pulled into your own life um, that you can you can offer up to our listeners? Something that really helped you feel radiant during this process of writing the book? Yeah. Um, it's so so funny. You said, you know, like you mentioned hula hooping and surfing and all that. It makes me sound so athletic. I am the <laughs> most athletic, per- unathletic person, you know, by the way, like this is, um, I'm, my younger self is laughing at, at, at this thing, um, at this podcast right now that I'm doing any of those things. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the um, thing. It's like, you can be a new person. You don't have to be the same person you were yesterday. Right. Absolutely. You absolutely. can be somebody who tries um, athletic well, things. Well, so one of the people that I interviewed, um, was a woman by the name of Stacia Savasic, and she is a style activist, right? Um, she talks about uh, how to dress to feel your most you. So it's not about trends. It's not about like doing your colors or anything like that. She is very much about how, when you put on clothing, how does that make you feel? And if it hurts your feelings, take it off. And <laughs> your body is not the problem, right? Like your body, like sizes, like sizes differed from manufacturer to manufacturer. And you've just got to let that go. And your body is not the problem. I have a couple of things hanging in my closet that hurt my feelings. And believe, right. believe me, I'm getting rid of <laughs> exactly, them now. Right? I'm like, like, don't, then hey, don't jeans, right? it's like, your you, fault, you don't not have to me. Do it. And I think um, <laughs> she probably um, is the most, taking her advice is probably the most visible um, thing that I've, I've done. I think before, maybe three or four years ago, I wore primarily black navy and gray and i will admit to you that m- i did that mostly because i heard those were slimming ah. um which one uh, that's nuts and two uh like why do i want to be smaller like why do i want to be like i don't i want to take up space i want to be i want to i want to be somebody who people notice i don't want to get shrink right i that shrinking is not my thing so since then, um, and the other, and the truth is I love color. Like I, my house, if you came to my house, it's an explosion of color. There's color everywhere. So what was this nonsense about me wearing black all the time when m- clearly color was something that is, that I love and I love to be surrounded by. So, um, so yeah, so now I wear lots of bright colors. Like I won't wear pastels. I wear everything. I come into a room and I come screaming into the room. Um, right now I'm wearing an orange uh, dress that is in a peacock pattern. It's loud and it's crazy. And um, yeah, so that's probably one of the things that I'm not, again, I'm not telling everybody that they need to do that, but that's the stuff that gives me joy and dress. It really does change my outlook in the day when I wake up in the morning. And I think, how do I want to show up today? How do I want to feel? 
Um, sometimes I want to, you know, I wear more muted colors because I'm feeling tender maybe, and I just want to kind of feel comforted. Sometimes I wear just crazy loud colors um, because I want to, I want to make a statement. So I love um, that. And I'm, that, I'm and yeah, sort of thinking about that. that and how, how do I want to show up was probably the funnest, easiest thing that I could do. Um, that's actually probably pretty visible to other people as well. It's such great imagery. And, and I love to dress with color as well. I, it's, it's so funny that you mentioned you know, the black thing. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I was like a New York teen, you know, sort of sneaking in and out of nightclubs. And like black was the, you know, you, you wanted to wear black. Everyone was yeah. wearing black. And I remember when I was young, you, I grew up, you know, we're, we're the same age, basically. But like my mom, went, I had to like get older to wear black. My mom was right, like, same. You know, <laughs> little kids didn't wear black. And so yeah. it, it felt like by the time I was 13, I'm like, I'm only wearing black. Right. And um, I haven't worn, I barely ever wear black anymore. I just love color. I feel like I've I, really like, taken that on. It's, in and, you know, it's funny, like, I'm not, you know, there are some people who love black and that's all they wear and, and they love it because they love black. And I think that's great. Of course. And, actually, and they look so chic. Everyone looks so chic. I mean, by the way, look, I've, yeah, I've fallen back in love with gray. Like, I like how gray looks on me now because my hair color is different. Um, and so that's been really interesting also is just to sort of see what's changing or like how I change, how does that impact how I want to dress as well? Right. Like it's sort of interesting that, that, that makes a difference. Yeah. It's a great question. How do I want to show up in the world? And I, you know, yeah. I want to show up vibrantly. Absolutely yeah. love that. Karen, I want to switch gears for a minute and, and ask you about something that's in your epilogue. Um, you shared at the beginning of this show and you shared in the beginning of your book that you've been optimistic about aging you know, mostly. And in your yep. epilogue, you write, quote, now that I've written this book, I find I am even more so. What did writing this book teach you specifically about, like, and sort of connect with your DNA about how you feel this sense of optimism around aging? What's sort of your biggest takeaway? Well, there were a couple. I mean, first was that a lot, of, and I talk about this at the very beginning of the book, there's a lot of myths around aging that we believe. Like we believe aging means that we're all going to end up in drooling, you know, in a home somewhere. And it turns out that's not true, that that a majority of people in America um, end up being fine, completely fine, cognitively fine, very, you know, a very small percentage actually end up in homes. And so, um, um, Alzheimer's rates are actually dropping in the United States. So there were a lot of like, uh, there was a lot of data that I think we worry about. And the data shows that they're not things to worry about um, overall, overall, right? I mean, obviously there's sure. genetic things and in our personal histories that's different, but overall it we're f sort of fed a myth about how miserable it's going to be. So that was one. Um, um, the fact that, uh, that I feel like a lot of the things that I went into um, this believing were validated, right? Like I, it was validated to me that that fad diets not only are bad for you, they don't make any sense because all of us have completely individual bodies and our individual bodies require different things for their health, right? Um, so, you know, things like that, where I was like, I knew that was, <laughs> I right. knew that had to be right. So there was a lot of, a uh, lot of data and a lot of things that just sort of reinforced why I felt why I should feel optimistic about aging. And, and I want to be very clear. Um, I am not suggesting that there aren't going to be challenges to getting older. I think um, the fact is that, of course, we're all going to face, it's called life. We're going to face challenges. Um, I just think that we spend 
an inordinate amount of time focusing on what could go wrong and we don't spend enough time on what can go right. Right. Um, and so I wanted to contribute something to the canon of what can go right about aging, uh, first of all. And then secondly, I think that it's um, it's really important also to remember. And this was also this was good for me is to trust your instinct. Right. Like trust your own instincts about what feels right for your body, what feels healthy for you, what feels like it sparks curiosity, what it is that sparks joy and go after it. And it felt like a lot of the people I spoke to um, for this book sort of gave me permission to continue to do that. And that was really, really encouraging. I love that. One of my favorite guests, Karen Duquesne, who was in, on my first uh, season of the podcast, who became a published novelist for the first time. She wrote her book at 54, and I think it was published at 56. But she said getting to midlife means giving yourself permission. Uh, permission to go after the things that you want to, to, you know, realize your hopes, dreams and ambitions. And I, I love that you gave yourself permission to feel great about aging. Uh, yeah. Karen, this has been such a fun conversation. We're moving into our speed round because I want to oh, ask God. you a few more things. <laughs> you can do this. I know that this is your newfound athleticism. You're going to you're going to rock this. We'll see. Let's go. All right. Uh, this is one to two word answers. Let's do it. OK. All Ra right. Writing Radiant Rebellion was challenging but encouraging nice that's three words sorry that's all right that works <laughs> what is a skill or attribute that you have now that eluded you when you were younger oh goodness um uh uh open-mindedness what is something you have let go of in midlife uh self-criticism nice or over self-criticism, if that makes sense. Yeah. To totally. Overly, being overly self-criticizing. Yes. Like that. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Older is bolder. What is a bold move you've made recently? I tried a surfing lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my which gosh. Was a, which was insane. <laughs> it's, uh, surfing is bold. I love it. We all need role models. Who is a radiant rebellion role model to you? Oh gosh, uh, so many. Uh, the first person I guess who comes to mind right now is is Cheryl Lee Ralph. That's the first person that came to mind. But there's so many amazing, amazing people. And how out do you there. spell her last name? Cheryl Lee Ralph, R A L P H. She's an actor. Okay. Um, she's fantastic. She won the Emmy. She was part of uh, what is the name of the show? Quinta Brinson's show about oh uh, a yes school yes in Philadelphia. yes it's totally um, escaping me the right school now. show um, I've seen it too it's phenomenal oh is she the yeah. um is she the principal she's not the principal she is the um more experienced teacher in oh, it the one yes. that's always put together Abbott Elementary um, Abbott Elementary Abbott, yeah yes. that's it exactly Abbott Elementary so she's she's um she's fantastic she won an Emmy for the role and she's just wonderful all right nice I'll put that in the show notes who should awesome. who should we follow on social for Radiant Rebellion inspiration. Oh my gosh! You, how long you got? Um, Ash, Ashton Applewhite for sure, and um, my sweet friend Karen Williams, K S E Williams, um, on on Instagram. Uh, she's a model and an empowered aging activist, and she's fantastic. And so she's those two. gorgeous. I follow her as well. I love that. Okay, you've written three books, and you read many to write this one. What is a radiant rebellion read we need to add to our T our, our <gasps> TBR stack? Oh my god, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> Well, pick maybe uh, pick one that you like really like surprised you or. Yeah, I well, I you know what I think um, 
a radiant rebellion read is I've got to go with my friend Brene Brown, her book Rising Strong, all, all about how to cultivate resilience. I think that's probably a really good one. Okay, phenomenal. And I haven't read it, so I'm putting it on my stack. Uh, finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel radiant. Radiant. Perfect. I was waiting for expansive, but radiant. Yeah, makes I, I, I almost said expansive, but radiant. I think radiant is, well, is, is more accurate. Well, I love that. And we all want to feel radiant. And you and your book, Radiant Rebellion, Reclaim Aging, Practice Joy, and Raise a Little Hell will focus us on what we can, you know, what can go right in this process. And I thank you for bringing it into the world. But before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find you, your books, and learn more about your work? Oh, sure. Come visit me um, at my website. It's actually called Chukalunks, which is a really hard word to say, but KarenWalrand.com will get you there and that will point you to all the other places you can find me. Fantastic. All going in the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Want more of A Certain Age? This fall, we are going to have live events. That's right. We're getting out of the podcast booth and into the real world. And we want you to come hang with us. Stay in the loop by signing up for our newsletter, Age Boldly, over on our website, acertainagepod.com. And before I say goodbye, a quick favor. I would love it if you could take five minutes to write an Apple podcast review. You can share something you learned on today's show or on a previous episode, or simply share why you tune in and make a certain age pod part of your week. Apple podcast reviews really help the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. 